The views, opinions, and advice expressed in this podcast are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and positions of Patterson Media or the sponsors of this program. Breathe out. Wellness is... I'm Anne, and I'm an alcoholic. I've been in AA for 42 and a half years, which has saved my life. The inner critic gets in there and makes us lose sight of this potential that we have within us to keep being hopeful and grateful and joyful and satisfied. Welcome to Choosing Wellness, a podcast for practical advice about how to attain better physical and mental well-being so that instead of just surviving, you're thriving. Choosing Wellness is powered by Pattison Media. In this series, we'll share a health journey, explore the trends, and talk to the experts who will help you live your best life. And we'll have fun doing it. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Tasha Biernert about alcohol. An inspiring story from a 97-year-old recovered alcoholic, Life Unlimited Stephanie Staples talks about saying yes, and our mindfulness moment focuses on hope. I'm Linda Freeman. Come join the journey of choosing wellness. Being Real It's the start of a new year, time for a new beginning, for finding hope. In this episode, we'll have something a little different, a longer version story that is not only inspiring, but could change your life. This is Anne's story. She's 97 and has fought hard to change her life for the past four decades. This is being real. Hashtag health tag, hashtag your story. I'm Anne, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm here today to share some of my story in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which has saved my life for many, many years. I've been in AA for 42 and a half years, but let me go back many, many years to when I was young, and I'll tell you how my alcoholism started because I think none of us really want to say from the very beginning we're alcoholics. We sort of shelter ourselves a bit from that. So my story begins a long time ago in the province of Quebec and there I was brought up in a very loving family with no alcohol. I didn't grow up drinking. And then when I was married, I moved out to the West Coast. My husband was from the West, and I had five children. As they got older, and we got a bit wealthier as we worked a bit longer, we began to have parties. And at parties, you had to serve drinks. So we did that, and I got to know how to drink a little bit. 
Then after quite a few years, my husband suggested we move to England. I said, if you want to travel, let's go around the world. So that's what we did. For two and a half years, we traveled around the world. Now I was a busy mom and a busy wife at home. And suddenly I was a traveler that went to museums and art galleries. And, and at night I sat down and had a long, leisurely dinner with wine and drinks afterwards. And that was my life for a couple of years. It was a big, big change. When they finally returned to Canada, Anne's son had a bad accident, which left him with a brain disorder, and she began to drink more, which she did for the next 18 months. Now, she could function, and as a matter of fact, she became a stockbroker and made a lot of money. She began to concentrate on making money instead of helping her children, and she continued to drink. Her kids got older and eventually left home. But in May of 1981, Anne plans a Mother's Day dinner for her family that changed her life. So I asked all my children to come, and of course they all said yes. And I got everything ready. And then when I went to bed that night, I knelt beside my bed. It was 11 o'clock exactly. I said, I need your help, God. I need your help because tomorrow... I don't want to have a drink. And I went to bed. The next day, Mother's Day, all my kids came over. The dinner was great, and I never did have a drink. And then, one by one, they left to go home. And the last one to go home was my daughter. And before she left, she handed me a letter. And she said, Mom, this is my real Mother's Day gift. And I walked into my living room, and I was so happy. I said, thank you, God, for helping me not have a drink. Now I have with me a portion, a couple of sentences only, that my daughter wrote. This is a letter that is long overdue. It should have been written years ago when I first noticed that the woman who gave me life was becoming a stranger. But I, like many others in my family, thought that if it didn't talk about it or call it to anyone's attention, it would just go away. But alcoholism and the horrors around it does not go away. It is a disease that must be cured only by treatment, like any other disease. There must be treatment from within that I believe that no one in my family understands the first thing about it. It is very difficult for me to admit that my mother is an alcoholic. I wish that someday she will admit it to herself and begin the journey to becoming a reformed alcoholic. I can no longer bear to see the slow destruction of our family. If you do decide to take this advice and seek help, then I will try again to respect you, understanding that you really meant all those things I was taught to believe. You see, every time I look at you, I see myself and what I shall become. 
There are no words to describe the fear I have of becoming older. It was a long letter, and one that started Anne's journey with Alcoholics Anonymous. But before we go there, Anne did talk to her daughter the morning after the Mother's Day dinner, and the two discovered a coincidence, or not. The next morning at 7 o'clock, the phone rang, and it was a daughter that had written me this letter. And she said, oh, Mama, I'm so sorry I wrote that letter to you. And she said, you've been so good, and I love you. And she said all the things I thought she was going to say in the letter. I said, no, you said the things you were supposed to. She said, I don't know what happened, but she said, I went to bed early. Now, all of a sudden, she said, I felt I was being shaken. And I looked up at my clock beside my bed, and it was 11 o'clock. And I got up and I wrote the letter. I've always thought of that. And I was able then to do exactly what she had asked me to do. So began my journey. And from that day to this, I have never had a drink. That is 42 and a half years ago. One of the functions of Alcoholics Anonymous is giving it back. And I can tell you even today, I need the program. I need to give. I go now to give. And in giving, we get. And I think that's true for almost everything in life. The more we give, the more we get. And so life goes on like that. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who come together to solve their drinking problem doesn't cost anything to attend AA meetings. There's no age or education requirements to participate. Membership is open to anyone who wants to do something about their drinking problem. AA's primary purpose is to help alcoholics achieve sobriety. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. I've seen many young people come into the program today. And yes, I think they profit from hearing the older people, but the older people also profit from listening to them. I know myself, I gain something from every single meeting I go to, either in person or by Zoom. I think it's remarkable how the Zoom has helped programs like Alcoholics Anonymous because it's good for the elderly people that can't get out to go to meetings. And I have a group of women that we meet every single Monday morning on Zoom. And we study the 12 steps and the 12 traditions in great length. After all these years of going over them and going over them again and again and again, I can still say it's helpful for me. And the beautiful part of Alcoholics Anonymous is that it doesn't matter whether you have religion or no religion, whether you believe in God or whether you don't. Alcoholics Anonymous embraces all people, all faith of any race or color. It doesn't matter who you are. We all come together as a family and we heal together as a family. 
Anne is a very spiritual person now. She has a strong faith in God and believes the work she does has been guided by the belief in something bigger, higher than us. The longer I'm in the program, the more I realize that it's not me working, it's God working through me. So, yes, I might have saved and helped a lot of people, but that's not me. I did not do it. I simply helped by guiding them, maybe, a little, or sharing my experience, strength, and hope to help them. When we get up to speak at the meetings, we simply share our stories, and we never know whose heart we're going to touch at that time, because we never know what the person needs at that time. Anne sponsored and helped many people through the years, and one of those people was a woman by the name of Alana. Her daughter, Jennifer, will be forever grateful for Anne's support. She does give recognition to the fact that in her life, her journey with you, that you, in fact, did save her life. Being in relationship with you was really not just a gift for her, but for me as her daughter and, quite frankly, as her family, because she was a pretty extraordinary woman. Oh, she was. My mom was clean and sober for 26 years. Half of my life, full transparency, I probably had the worst mother on the planet. She was neglectful. She was not present. She was not in herself. Yeah. And then through the gift of AA and sobriety, I had the best mother on the planet. The best. She was thoughtful and kind and loving and fun and curious and intriguing. And, oh, she just took my breath away. And I often describe my mom today as, honestly, love of my life. And so I will always have a special place in my heart for Anne because Anne helped my mom not just get on that journey, but stay on that journey. You know, through the relationship with Anne and through alcoholism and through AA and being with my mom on that journey, it helped me as an adult stay away from alcohol, knowing and watching. Paying it forward is exactly that gift of receiving is giving and you can never receive if you don't give that's right and it w- it's so powerful according to a comprehensive analysis conducted by a Stanford School of Medicine researcher and his collaborators after evaluating 35 studies involving the work of 145 scientists and over 10,000 participants it was determined that AA was nearly always found to be more effective than psychotherapy in achieving abstinence. Today, AA has 2 million members worldwide. Let me read you another letter from my daughter, the one that wrote me the letter before, 20 years after I'd come into AA. Welcome to 20 years, she said. There are many words I could write to let you know how much you mean to me, but really, the two most important feelings I want you to know are thank you and I love you with all my heart. Thank you for being a truly strong role model for others, for supporting new members into the world of AA and the life of recovery, and for 
maintaining a healthy confidence for the past 20 years. And this could be speaking to anybody that's been in the program a long time, not just me. Thank you for providing a solid stability within our family during the times of both laughter and joy or sadness and tears. All my sisters and brothers appreciate who you have become. Because of your recovery, we all know that we are part of what is best about you. I wish you more wonderful years, one day at a time. The sounds you should hear on Mother's Day is the sound of applause and pride. Our home addresses might keep changing, but what doesn't change is the respect and admiration I have for you. Welcome to 20 years of recovery, healing, and joy. Now that letter was written about 20 years ago, and Anne has continued to stay connected with Alcoholics Anonymous. Their 12 steps were written in 1935 in Akron, Ohio, by a stockbroker and a doctor. Both had been hopeless alcoholics. We have to keep our program simple. We have to work at it a day at a time. We have to ask forgiveness, but we have to forgive ourselves for our past, which is sometimes a very hard thing to do. And we have to not worry about the future. These 12 steps they give, the humility, that's one of the most important things that we have is the humility that comes with it. Also, I'd like to say about the AA program that it's unity, recovery, and service. There's no magic to it. It's just having the strength and the guts to be honest, to accept who you are, where you are, and what you want. If we have gratitude in our heart, that's the secret to everything. I love life, I love people, and I'm very grateful that I am able to keep on. I'm Anne, and I'm an alcoholic. An AA presence can be found in approximately 180 nations worldwide. Anne has dedicated almost 50 years to helping others find a path to sobriety. And at 97, she doesn't plan on stopping. Maybe she's helped you. Thank you, Anne, for all that you do and for sharing your story. To share in the discussion on sobriety, tag us using hashtag health tag. How to choose wellness. How much alcohol we can safely consume is being drastically rethought. New recommended guidelines for Canadians advise even moderate drinking. Anything more than two drinks a week puts your health at risk. The update is from the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, which reviewed 6,000 studies on alcohol use. It defines a standard drink as 12 ounces of beer, 5 ounces of wine, or 1.5 ounces of spirits. According to the report, consuming no alcohol has significant benefits to health and sleep. Three to six drinks per week puts you at moderate risk of developing seven types of cancer, including colon and breast cancer. And more than seven alcoholic drinks a week puts you at increasingly high risk of heart disease and stroke. 
Dr. Tasha Beanert loves being a family doctor and believes that preventative health care is the foundation. Dr. Beanert completed her medical degree and graduated as elected chief resident in family medicine from University of Calgary. Tasha, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Certainly as a family practitioner, I've spent my career at Harrison Healthcare now, previously Copeland Healthcare, and what we sort of put in the forefront was prevention. So this is in my wheelhouse. I love talking about this exact topic or preventative health. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. It needs to be talked about more. We need to understand the things that we need to incorporate into our lives so that we can prevent disease and illness down the road. Yeah, 100%. Patients are very much, and as a population as a whole, we are more mindful about the choices we're making and the impact that has on our health long term. I really wanted to ask you to give people an understanding of why alcohol is so bad for us when we consume too much of it. Yeah, right. And I think our approach to this has changed a little bit over the years. Certainly coming out of COVID, people were isolated, they were spending more time at home alcohol use went up a lot. The pandemic has put all of us under stress, but some hoping to cope with the stress with more alcohol than usual could face some negative health effects down the road. And I think people weren't considering the consequence of that. And these guidelines came and people were shocked. I had a lot of conversations with patients and actually even friends, people laughing and saying, these guidelines, this is ridiculous. Two drinks per week. I know. It was like everybody was like, what are you talking about? Please don't tell me this, right? (laughs) We have to realize that when we talk about alcohol, historically, we kind of thought of it as, do you have an alcohol abuse issue? And now we're realizing a lot of the problems associated with alcohol use are in people who are social drinkers. And I think that's the piece we can really educate patients on today. It has an effect in many areas of health with cancer risk. And we had talked about this historically, right? Breath and colon cancer being the big ones. Mm-hmm. You know, there are many other diseases, you know, even osteoporosis risk, dementia risk, mental health diagnosis cardiovascular health and associated diseases, it has an impact in many areas, you know, and of course, liver is a big one that patients often know about. Now, I know with smoking, they've always said, once you quit smoking, that the lungs will begin to work to repair the damaged cells and that you can reverse a lot of the damage caused by smoking. Can that same thing happen if you stop drinking Yes. You know, I think the body really does have a tremendous ability to repair. For the vast majority of people who consume alcohol, I think reducing at any time in their lives is going to have benefit for their health. When you consume alcohol, it's processed through the liver. And actually, you know, every time you consume alcohol, you damage those cells that are processing it. The great news is you do regenerate them. However, sustained high level use or just chronic use over time can start to decrease the ability of the liver to repair itself. Alcohol use is also related to high blood pressure, hypertension. And as a family physician, we diagnose this all the time. People don't realize though, by stopping their drinking, they can often bring down blood pressure similarly to what a medication would allow them in regards to reduction of blood pressure. But I think that ability to reverse disease, 100% is there. 
Alcohol is interesting as well. When you go back to the liver, sustained use of alcohol over a period of time, you sort of will accumulate a bit of fat in the liver. And so the consequence is you get inflammation. And anytime you have inflammation, you can have some scarring. So that we call liver cirrhosis. And unfortunately, that isn't reversible. Now, I know a lot of people will say, well, I don't drink very often. And they probably don't, but there'll be occasions. So if you are the type of person that does enjoy the odd time, can you have those little bits and times in your life that you do it and still be able to manage hopefully a healthy life? It's a hard one because, you know, it is. It's part of our social fabric and our connection and our relaxation and celebration. So I have this conversation probably daily with patients is where is that safe limit and what does that look like for me? What we know is the more you consume at one setting, the higher the effect on the liver. Two or less alcoholic beverages at a sitting tends to have the least effect. Where that level of safety is beyond that, we don't really know. One of the outcomes of lower alcohol is less injury, right? And that's because alcohol affects our brain. So, you know, it essentially is a neurotoxin. It prevents those neurons from communicating. And that's why we have some of those effects on memory, speech, balance, vision, and judgment. There was a statistic maybe, you know, five years ago that said there's probably 18,000 deaths a year in Canada just from alcohol. Some of these would be injury-related, direct consequence. Yeah. For the majority of people, yes, one time they have four drinks, that's probably not going to have major health consequence at that time if it's in a safe environment. However, you know, if you're doing that every week, again, there's that cumulative effect, right? And that's one of the screening tools that these new guidelines put out for us as family doctors. I will ask you, hey, can I talk about your alcohol use? And maybe I'll throw out one screening question. And that may be, you know, have in the last year you consumed four more beverages at one time. And if you say yes, then I might explore that a little bit more with you because you might not realize that's putting your health at risk. And I think we should be able to enjoy alcohol because there is occasion, you know, where it really fits, you know, and it is celebratory. Just being mindful. What am I choosing? Do I know what a standard alcoholic beverage is? We're saying five ounces of wine, 12 ounces of beer, one and a half ounces of traditional spirit. That would be considered one drink. And so maybe, you know, when you go out, you have some mindfulness. You enjoy that first drink of your choice. And then maybe the next drink is water. The next drink is a non-alcoholic choice. And I think that's why these conversations and just the educational piece about it is so important. And that when something like this is announced and it comes out, we do need to keep talking about it because people will tend to forget. Exercise, eat well, and don't drink so much. <laughs> you know, That's the new way of thinking. People have not really thought of it as a substance that has a consequence for health even at what would be perceived as lower levels historically. And so just having that mindfulness, I think, is a really nice way of feeling in control of all your risk factors for preventable diseases, and alcohol is a major player in them. So to drink or not to drink, anything else that you want to add before we wrap up that we may not have covered when it comes to that decision of to drink or not to drink? One thing that I might like to highlight is that alcohol is not the same for all populations. 
So for women, you know, we process alcohol very differently. We'll absorb it faster, so it'll have a greater health effect, drink per drink versus men. We don't have quite the same enzymes to process it. We tend to be lower body weight. We tend to have less full body water. And so the effects of alcohol will be greater on us. So this means at the time of consuming, so those might be all those risk factors related to driving and judgment and coordination. But long term, we will have health consequences in all those areas we talked about, cancer, osteoporosis, dementia risk, diabetes, at a lower level than men. So women need to realize we're not the same as men and we need to look at the research that's specific for us and make those decisions for us. Our youth and young adults trying to really discuss the risk for them and perhaps really encouraging, you know, avoiding use of alcohol for as long as they can, you know, because it does have a greater effect on them for all those same reasons. They're smaller, their hormones are different, their brain isn't development, so the effect is greater on them. You know, I think these guidelines came out not to stress people out because we don't need any more stress, but really to offer a framework of alcohol consumption can have risk at any level. And we're not going to think about it as abuse versus all the rest is safe. We're going to think about it as a continuum. And as you add to that, so as you go above two drinks per week, just know that you're adding to your risk. I hope that by having this be, you know, more a discussion around prevention, it takes away the stigma of, you know, I need to say that I'm drinking the proper amount. You know, really your physician should be the person that you can have some easy dialogue with because it's for your health. So, you know, I hope this allows patients to feel open with their conversations with their healthcare practitioner. Well, thank you for your insight and your perspective. This is something, if you're serious about your health and you're serious about preventative measures, then take a look seriously about how much alcohol you're consuming. Doesn't mean you can't still have some fun occasionally. Dr. Beaner, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. It was a lovely conversation. Yeah, really my pleasure. Thanks so much, Linda. Life Unlocked. Baby, it can be cold out there. Or maybe you have cold sensitivity. (laughs) If you often feel cold, it may also be a sign of underlying health issues. Anemia. A symptom of anemia is being cold, which occurs because you don't have enough red blood cells to transport oxygen and nutrients throughout your body. If you have pale skin, feel fatigued, or experience shortness of breath or dizziness, you may be anemic. You can get a simple blood test to check. Thyroid. If your thyroid gland doesn't produce enough hormones, it may leave you feeling more sensitive to the cold because the thyroid helps regulate body temperature and metabolism. A simple blood test can check the levels of thyroid hormones in your blood. Diabetes. One symptom of diabetes is that you feel cold. This may be due to issues affecting circulation and kidney function. Over time, uncontrolled diabetes may also result in nerve damage that occurs primarily in your hands or feet, which can make your extremities feel especially cold, tingly, or numb. Fatigue. If you don't get enough sleep or get good quality sleep, you may find you feel colder than usual. While being tired isn't a health condition in and of itself, poor sleep can contribute to many health issues, so it should not be ignored. The solution is to figure out what's causing your lack of sleep and to take steps to improve your sleep habits. 
For more information on cold feet and more wellness, check out everythinglifestyle.ca. Life Unlimited with Stephanie Staples. It is time to recharge, re-energize, and revitalize with our nurse-turned-motivational speaker, Stephanie Staples. Steph, it's always so, so great to have you here. We have such good combos. We have good, juicy combos. <laughs> we really do, and it was one of our conversations off the podcast, like just you and I talking, that we came upon this really great story that you have. So can you bring us to the beginning of that story and just tell us what you experienced because I absolutely love this. Thank you. Well, it was a unique day, that's for sure. So started on a plane, which is, you know, not that unique for me because I travel for work. This particular day, everything was going like tickety-boo, but suddenly there was like this big, huge storm and we landed, I think it was in Chicago, and the ground crew cannot come out to bring the plane in when there's a storm. So the flight attendant gets on her PA and she says, passengers, I need you to pay attention to me now while I explain to you the protocol for when we are grounded on the tarmac. And everyone's like, oh, sighing. (laughs) Yeah, oh no. So she says, you may not unbuckle your seatbelt. And I'm nodding right now. She says, you may not get up and I'm nodding like her, and you may not go to the washroom. And she continues to nod and she says, are you looking at me? So people, of course, because they're never paying attention to the flight attendants, they all look up at her because she's saying this. And people start to chuckle because they realize, even though she's saying you can't do this, I'm not gonna stop you if you do this. (laughs) Right. You can hear all these clickety-click seatbelts unbuckling, of which mine is one of them. People get up, they head to the narrow aisle of the washroom. I get in line. And I start chit-chatting with the guy on the aisle at the exit row. And I find out he's a singer. And I'm like, oh, well, that's so cool. And then I find out he's a choir director. Like, wouldn't that be the coolest thing if he, like, led us in song? So I said, would you consider leading us in song? And he goes, you know, I'm not really prepared. And I said, look, if you don't do this, 200 people are going to go home and they're going to be like, I got stuck on the tarmac for three hours. That's all they're going to talk about. I said, but if you do this, 300 people are going to go home and they're going to talk about you and this experience that you created for us. And Linda, I swear, he did not even hesitate. He just looked up at me and he said, I'll do it. And I was like, oh, goody. So I ran up the aisle to the flight attendant and I said, oh, we have a choir director on board and he's going to lead us in song. And she was like, that's awesome. He can use my PA system. And then she she says, attention passengers, I'd like to introduce you to Christopher. He's a choir director. He's going to lead us in song. (laughs) Christopher comes up to the front of the plane and he leads us not in like a row, row, row your boat kind of song. He leads us in like a three-part harmony, African sounding song, which was just, you know, mind blowing. And so he created this experience on the plane that completely shifted how everybody was feeling a moment before. And I just thought there were so many juicy nuggets of learning and inspiration in that story. Do you look at this stuff in so many times in our lives, aren't we in a position like this? Just any moment in your life, you can be presented with something that if you change your perspective and look at it from a different lens and do something different in that moment, 
it changes your trajectory. Well, I think that, you know, if we think about Christopher sitting in that seat and like what kind of things had to happen to create that moment. So first of all, two strangers had to be open to having a conversation instead of just like staring ahead or, you know, not making eye contact. And also asking some different questions. We were asking questions to kind of get to know each other. So that takes a little bit more of a thought process than just being silent or just asking the simple questions. I could have asked 999 other people to do this and they would have been like, no, thank you. <laughs> Even though they had a gift or a talent or something that could bring out some joy in a situation, we often would be so worried about what other people would think. Mm. We would be worried about, oh, maybe people wouldn't sing along. Maybe we would forget something. Maybe we wouldn't do it right. Maybe like all these other things that can happen, right? But he still said yes. So I would ask, what is it that you might be able to say yes to that could just change the trajectory of like literally the rest of your life? And I could go on about this story with Christopher because it didn't end on the plane. We stayed connected and there were many more stories after this as a result of that, which changed the trajectory of both of our lives. And when we're open to things, you don't know what's going to come into your life because of that. And that's what I think is really key here too, is being more open, saying yes and being open to new things. Like, you know, I talk about that zero to 10 scale. It's like everything doesn't have to be at eight, nine and 10. What if it's like a four, five, six? Well, it's better than a zero or a one. <laughs> it's going to land somewhere. And then it might lead to something else. It might not, but everything we say yes to is like, it's opening a door to something potentially that's pretty cool. And I always think too, what's the worst thing that can happen? Someone says no. And that's not the end of the world. We can move on and move past that. And then the next time you try a yes to something, then maybe that other person is going to also say yes, and you're going to have a choir singing on an airplane. And I think it's all about a little bit of peeling back the layers and breaking down some of those barriers that we have within ourselves that we need to be more open to things. You know, and there might be a little bit of nature and nurture to this as well, right? How we were raised and how you know our DNA, but we can all shift the dial a little bit. And I think you want to be a little happier. We want to be a little healthier. We want to have a little more impact in the world. Sometimes, you know, overcoming those reasons to say no and just say, you know what? I'm going to say yes anyway, just because and see what I can make of this. Yeah, everything you just said there should all be on our list at any time of the year, right? To find ways to be a little bit happier, a little more open, have a little more fun. Maybe less about the diet and exercise. Focus on the things really that can bring you great joy in your life. Amen. Amen, sister. So before we end, is there anything else you have to say? I just have to say it's Stephanie Staples, and I am usually really excited about encouraging you to live your life unlimited. Thanks, Steph. You rock. Thank you, Linda. Life is challenging, and choosing wellness in our daily lives may seem like adding to the already long to-do list. But together, we can make it easier. Join us on the next Choosing Wellness as we give you the information you need to live a great life. I'm Linda Freeman. Let's connect again soon as we take the journey of Choosing Wellness. You've been listening to Choosing Wellness, an initiative powered by Patterson Media, designed to inspire and motivate a healthy life. For more information on this program, go to everythinglifestyle.ca. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com, a division of Patterson Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.